Now on Mickey D's, when you buy any crispy chicken sandwich or quarter pounder with cheese, you'll get a free medium fry and free medium drink when you order on the app. So do you have the app? How are you going to get this deal if you don't have the app? I know you have a phone. Anywho, if you have the app, enjoy your free fries and drink. If you don't, you can't see me. But know that I'm shaking my head. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Limited time only. I participate in McDonald's. Valid one time per day. Visit McDonald's app for details. Download and registration required. Oh, we could, we could fly. This is your summer. That means six flags in the taste of an ice-cold Coca-Cola. We're talking thrilling coasters, delicious burgers, yes. real moments together, and this. Coke is summer refreshment when you need it most, so you can hop on another ride or race down a slide at the water park. Six Flags and Coca-Cola. Come make it yours. Visit sixflags.com slash Coke to save up to $20 on passes, plus daily tickets starting at $34.99. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Balance Factor podcast. I am your host, Emily Newton, and I am so excited about today's episode because we are going to be talking about matcha. Now, if you didn't know, I drank a lot of matcha. I share it a lot on my page. Um, I used to actually really not like it as like in university, I really, or or in undergrad, I really did not like it, but it wasn't until I had a lot of health issues where coffee just wasn't allowed (laughs) in my diet anymore that I made a total switch to matcha and what actually really got me into it was um this brand called Nekohama Matcha which is going to be the special guest for today's episode so I am so excited about this one. So Nekohama is a matcha company that is based out of California in the United States. Um, It is founded by Max and his fiance Sana and how I found out about the company was through Sana. So Sana is a health and wellness influencer she has a youtube channel she does a lot of instagram content and she has a strong background and is still working as a model Um, she's done several campaigns for like calvin klein she was in the victoria's secret fashion show Um, so i found her on social media a long time ago and she always used to post a bunch of recipes like really good salad recipes um a lot of like fresh using fresh and local organic ingredients and I loved her content and for a long time I followed her and then she started talking about matcha and then when it came to me not drinking coffee I was like oh I remember um Sana that girl I follow is really into matcha I should look into like the way she does um, makes it and um look into their company and so I did that and I got their matcha and I swear, because before I tried their matcha, I had tried a bunch of different brands and I could not get myself to like actually enjoy it. I would drink it because I couldn't have coffee, but um, it wasn't until I tried this brand that it is literally so smooth. It doesn't require any like plant-based milk or sweetener. You can literally just drink it on its own it's that good it doesn't taste grassy it doesn't taste fishy 
So anyways, um, ever since I've been obsessed with matcha and it's what I drink every morning and every afternoon and I've had a lot of people ask me about matcha, you know, like what's a good brand, how should I make it and after giving it some thought, I was like, you know what, this would be a great episode to do because there's so many people out there that you know, they'll go to Starbucks and order matcha, but not really realize that actually isn't matcha. And so basically, I was like, you know what? Let's ask Nikahama, see if they'll come on the show. And here we are. Um, so this episode is really suited for anybody who's looking to get into matcha, or even if you don't like it, just to know like where it comes from, how it's created. Um, the best ways to make it, the do's and the don'ts, and also learn about how the brand Nikohama was created. It's a really interesting and neat story. And um, yeah, so without further ado, let's chat with Max from Nikohama. Yeah, okay, so let's just jump into it. Yeah, so um, yeah. yeah, so we... <laughs> I guess uh, Nekohama started back in like 2017. Honestly, the idea kind of started when Fasan and I first met. And we mm-hmm. went to the Philippines on our first vacation. It was the craziest thing. We met in September, fell in love. Uh, I think October 11th, it was like, I was like, this is it. I spent the rest of my life with you. I didn't say that, but, you know, I was like, hey, like, you've never had a boyfriend before, but, you know, I <laughs> want to try it. And, uh, and then after that, we went, um, you know, two weeks later, she said, Hey, do you want to go to Holland with me for vacation with my family? And I was like, yeah, sure. It just kind of came out, but it was like, we didn't barely knew each other. And after she said it, she was like, Oh, she regretted it. She was like, Oh no, what's, what's going to happen. It's only been like a month. So when I got there, you know, we were still like very early days and we planned this three week trip to the Philippines and we had no idea what we were doing. We hadn't even planned it out. It literally took about two weeks before we were like oh let's stay at this place let's stay here and it was probably the most hectic trip with the most amount of diverse uh, adversity ever she got really sick we missed one reservation because of a flight delay and every single hotel after that was booked up so we basically had to rearrange our whole trip so we went from staying in like you know decently planned out nice places to like literally like hole in the wall places that we were like finding last minute we'd literally drive down the road and we'd like oh that looks like a place that might have rooms and where oh we were my. going was really popular <laughs> for like tourists and there was really no rooms anywhere so it was it was an amazing way for us to get to know each other and she grew up in Zimbabwe so she you know she'd definitely been traveling and she'd roughed it before and it was a lot of fun we you know I grew up in India my brother was born there my parents were very nomadic and um that trip was amazing because we got to see you know, the work, like we literally went through so much. Uh, so basically the whole trip started to fall apart and um, we didn't know what to do. So we were in Palawan, which is uh, another, um, and it was the island of El Nido, I believe. And we were in a place called Palawan or it might've been El Nido. And then it was a place called Palawan. So I don't remember, uh, horrible memory, but I remember the trip was just really hectic, but that trip really brought us together. And towards the end of the trip, Sana had lost like six pounds. I had gotten food poisoning and we were like, all right, we need to get out of here. Let's just get to Manila. So there was no flights from the area that we were in. So we had to take a seven hour bus at 4 a.m. 
That was the only bus that was leaving the area. Jump in, seven hours later, we get to the airport. We got the last two seats on this flight. And it was like a little dingy. It was like, a, it was a prop plane. So we were like, all right, here we go. We get to Manila. And during that time that we were there, we started meeting some amazing people, some entrepreneurs that were there. And we sat down at dinner with some friends that we had met uh, like on, during the trip. And someone at the table was like, hey, what do you guys do? And we're like, oh, we're just in New York, you know, we work in fashion. And he's like, oh, cool. I work in the tea business. And we're like, oh, tell us a little bit more. And he said he read this book that was written by um, an entrepreneur who said that tea was going to become the next wine. And that really hit us because Sana, you know, obviously she's Dutch. They drink a lot of wine there, you know, socially. And um, I started thinking about it. I was like, oh, I, I drink a lot of tea myself. I just never thought about it as a business. And we kind of had this idea this entire time to start something. And tea was the first idea we ever had. So then at some point in 2018, Sana received something. Uh, it was, I didn't know what it was because it was, came in a glass jar and it was matcha. And she was making it in Brooklyn when we were living there. And I was like watching her make this and she wasn't using a whisk. So I had no idea. I didn't have a context of like, oh, what is that? It was just a, like a jar, a mason jar with one of those, uh, those uh, what do you electric. Call those? Uh, yeah, the electric whisk, uh, like a frother. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then she pours milk in there. I'm like, like a, it was Oatly, I think at the time she poured Oatly. And I was like, it's like, Sana, what is that? And she goes, oh, it's matcha. And I was like, why are you putting milk in there? Because I'd never thought that you would put milk into matcha. Because growing up, whenever we'd visit Japan, Matcha was just pretty much just by itself, just green. And that was when I walked up and I was like, can I try it? I tried it and it tasted so bad. It was so bitter. And then when you add the milk in it, it just tastes exactly like the milk, it tastes like the sweet, it tastes like a sweet latte, but you don't get any flavor of the matcha. Mm -hmm. So I, I called up my mom and I was like, hey mom, like, is there anywhere in the US that you know that we can get like matcha like we had in Japan? And my mom sent a couple of places, but the matcha that we ordered from them was still like really bitter. And that was like the early like start of kind of getting into the matcha space and starting to look for, you know, just personal consumption, just looking for a matcha that wasn't bitter and that didn't have like that, all that chalkiness. So I guess you know, we got really busy. Sana was focused on her career as a model. She was building up her YouTube channel. She was working, traveling every week. I had started working with Jason Gorski, who's my business partner now and like one of my best friends. And it was kind of on the back shelf. It was never really something that we were going to think about doing because we really didn't have any time. Um, so, you know, we did our best to just kind of keep ordering matcha. We tried everything. We went on a trip to Japan together in 2018. And then that trip got cut short. And uh, we had planned to go to Kyoto where we would have been able to spend some time in Uji. But two days into the trip, like right when we were like starting to come out of jet lag, she got a call and then her agents told her, hey, so there's this company, this uh, it was an express campaign. They want you to fly back to the U.S. tomorrow and shoot this campaign. And it's both you and Max. And we looked at each other and we're like, should we stay? Kasana had to go to Australia next. But it was like the first time that we were going to be in a campaign together. It was like pretty cool. So we're like, yeah, let's go back. So we flew back and then <laughs> we get back. And then two days later, she had to fly off to Australia. So she was flying crazy that year. And we missed out on our chance to go to Uji to basically experience what, you know, like everyone was talking about when it came to matcha. Cause I'd never been to Uji. I'd been to Kyoto a few times, but Uji is a little bit outside. Okay. And um, when we got back uh, to the US, it was another year before San and I were able to make a trip again to Japan. Um, I had on a bunch of trips over there for family, but I never went back for matcha. But that entire time, you know, we got in touch with a lot of different matcha suppliers. We got in touch with a bunch of brands and we really, both of us, we didn't have the confidence at the time to 
jump in ourselves. So we started speaking to different companies about basically jumping on, either becoming an ambassador or helping or getting help to source a product that we would then sell under the brand that we wanted to create. And um, we just, again, got really, really busy after those conversations started. And then nobody we talked to really inspired us. You know, they were all, um, they didn't know much about where they sourced their own product from. They had found a supplier online, ordered a bunch of them, had them shipped to them, and then just picked one that was green and cheap. And we, every time we asked questions like, hey, so like, do you know if this is, you know, from one plant or is this, you know, a blend? And most of them say that it was a blend. And we were really confused as to why you would blend different matches to, or different leaves together. And, um, you know, the funny thing was we didn't know anything. So we were just asking all these questions. And then finally, we finally started to get some, uh, some answers from my family in Japan. So my grandparents, uh, they were in the rice business in Nagoya. And they had probably, in my opinion, the best rice I've ever had. My uh, grandfather uh, passed away a few years back, but the whole focus of the rice business was around quality. And my grandmother, my uncle, they were all part of this business because it was a family business there. So I reached out to my mom who reached out to my grandmother and she mentioned to my mother, you should look into Kyushu because they have really, really good tencha. And what matcha is, is you basically just take the leaf, you take the stem, stem off, you take the veins out and you have the fibers and that's tencha, aracha and then it goes into tencha. Then you grind that down into what is matcha. So they told us to go down there. So we started like looking and we went on a trip in 2019. We went up to Kyoto, we did a little bit of traveling. We didn't make it down to the island of Kyushu, but what we did do is we got in touch with a lot of people in the area. And um, fast forward another six months and pandemic started. And it was 2020, March, uh, Jason and I were just watching Tiger King and Sana like had this feeling. She's like, oh, this is the right time to like start this. And I try to find the right matcha. We don't have you know anything else to do. The whole world shut down. So let's see if we can get matcha shipped to us. So Sana um, said that, and I think I think I thought the world was going to end. Jason and I were just like, this is you know like everything you saw was just like I guess really sad and just there was a lot of panic. So I told mm -hmm. Sana, I was like, yeah, no, you can't do that. No, it's not even worth doing. And Sana literally looked at me and goes, no, 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 I'm going to do it. And she took it as a challenge and really like owned it. So for the next three weeks, she got in touch with my mom. They got in touch with everyone that they had met in Japan and all the different suppliers that they could find. And they started to look all over the island of Kyushu. There's Kagoshima, there's Yame, there's different growing regions. And then off the island, you also have like Shizuoka and then Uji, which is really well known for matcha. And we basically had everything you can imagine shipped to us. And it took about a month and a half before things started showing up. And most of the time it was hard for Sana to actually like speak to the different suppliers and the different farms and the producers because she's Japanese. So that's why my mom is a part of the company. My mom has been here from the very beginning helping Sana translate. And it was really cool to just watch the both of them just go back and forth with, uh, you know, I guess these Japanese teams. And the one thing I noticed that was funny is if you're not, Japanese, it's very hard to do business in Japan because one, there's a language barrier, but also there's certain quality standards that certain farms have. And the farm that we work with has never sold uh, sold outside of Japan. Um, they have a couple of suppliers um, that they work with uh, in Japan, but this specific leaf, this cultivar has never been sold in the United States and Europe. Um, it has been to a couple of places uh, around the world, but it's never actually been picked up and used. So we were like, wait, this is great. This is a unique product that nobody has. And it just tasted incredible. So in between finding it 
which was on August 15th of 2020. I still remember the day. Um, we tried 300 or around at least 300 different powders, but we're talking about like, we'd have like shipments coming in with like 30 different powders of all types of like colors, just like some of the most disgusting right. powders I'd ever had. <laughs> and certain ones that were extremely bitter, some were that okay, but there was really nothing that our pal liked. I was like, if we're gonna do this, we need to do something that's really good. And Sana's always been about quality. You know, everything she's done with food has always been making sure it's organic. She's always very conscious of what she's putting into her body. And, um, you know, Jason was a great, great litmus test because Jason didn't like any matcha. He would, he tried probably three or four and we would make them really thick, like literally a hundred milliliters of water and two grams. So it's like really, it's like an espresso or maybe even smaller and we would drink it. And, oh my God, literally every week or so when things would come in, it was miserable. But I was like, we have to, there's gotta be something better than this. Cause I remember when I was a kid in Japan, like it wasn't. I might say it wasn't that bad, just it wasn't as bitter as it is here in the US. Mm -hmm. And we found out is that a lot of the cafes and a lot of the companies here, they are aware that most people are going to add milk and add sugar to their matcha. Yeah. So because of that, they don't need to necessarily source an expensive or a high quality leaf because you can call anything ceremonial. Grade. There's no government body that's saying, wait, no, you can't do that. There's no like, there's no, yeah, there's no organization that controls that so you can pretty much say whatever you want so for us when we were looking for it we were looking for something that you know first of all was tasty and didn't have to have anything added to it and then the second thing is that greediness that you get with matcha you know it's like sometimes at the bottom of your cup you'll see like you know just different pieces of powder and yeah. we wanted to avoid that and we tried to figure out like why is that happening why does that why is that a current problem with like the matcha powder on the market it's because a lot of companies are using something called like they're using ceramic mills instead of stone mill and ceramic oh, okay. can't grind it down. It's a little bit cheaper as well. So yeah. if you're only making lattes in your cafe and your customer isn't extremely educated and they just automatically think it's green, so it must be healthier. You don't necessarily need to have an expensive product. You can just have anything because you're going to add sugar and you're going to add milk. So then all of a sudden it's like, it's pretty much just a, a milk with some green powder in it. Yeah. So for us, like I said, it was, you know, we wanted to make sure we got rid of the bitterness. We, want, we didn't want it to be chalky and we wanted it to be something that people could make at home and could learn how to make it easily without having to go through, you know, crazy steps. And with most powders, the particle size is between 11 to 12 microns. And I know it's just, it's, um, it's like a <laughs> particle size and it's not really that cool, yes. but we got our particle size down to nine microns. So if you have a 12 micron, uh, I guess, particle, we can fit three Nekohama particles inside of your matcha powder. So most Amazon matcha is between 11 to 12. I think you can kind of even feel it when you're drinking it. But if you've tried Nekohama, you, whenever you drink it, whether you have it with milk added or anything, usually at the bottom of your cup, there is nothing there. And that's nothing really there. because of the stone grinding that we use and the producers that we have are just fantastic. Right. Uh, J Jason shared a really interesting story with me. He was on the phone with them. <laughs> and the farm, the producer, uh, the company is run by a mother, by the mother and the husband who married into the family. He is the, I guess, the, um, the matcha whisperer. He's the one who is always working on the matcha, making sure that the grinding process is perfect. And in a meeting with our team on the ground there, he stood up and goes, and he excused himself. And the reasoning was, the humidity is changing because it's about the rain. So he needed to go recalibrate all the machines 
and make sure that everything was set. So when we got in touch and we got samples sent to us, it wasn't a promise that we would be able to supply it. It was more so, oh, if you want to personally consume this at home, we'll send you a 40 gram bag, whenever you need some more. And that was kind of a shock to us because anywhere else in the world that you go, it's like, you know, you reach out to a supplier, you reach out to a company and they want to sell it to you. They want you to buy it. They want you to buy as much as possible. In Japan, it's not like that at all, at least with, you know, with specific farms that really, really care about what they do. So after a little bit of convincing, um, I asked my mom and Sarah asked my mom, hey, do you mind uh, helping us convince them uh, that we're not going to do what other matcha brands in the U.S. have done? And, you know, we wanted to be more of like Japanese founded American matcha company, my mother, myself, Sana and uh, Jason at the time. And this is right the early days before we even incorporated and created the entity that is Nekohama. And um, my mom said yes, so she jumped on and I speak, I speak enough Japanese to get by. So if I'm in Japan, I can communicate, I can get around. People obviously are like, yeah, that guy's definitely a foreigner, but he yeah. is kind of Japanese. And um, my mom jumps on and basically what we said is that, you know, we will not diminish the brand. We won't actually do what some of the brands here have done. We're gonna keep it very much uh, within the, uh, I guess, the culture of Japan. We basically, we're gonna try to respect it as much as possible. And they trusted us. They actually gave us certain parameters. So we are not allowed to sell matcha after six months. Um, so from the date that it's ground to the six month mark. And the reason for that is they really care about the quality of their product. So they don't want something that we're carrying being sold 12, 13, 14 months later. It's still completely consumable. It's safe to drink. It's just not going to taste the way that it's meant to taste. It starts to oxidize and all of a sudden you lose levels of L-theme, you know, all the things inside of matcha that make it um, delicious and make it actually something you want to put into your body. So we said, okay. And the cool thing that actually happened is after we said yes, they said, okay, we can, we'll try this out with you. So they started to supply us and we ended up pushing out our launch from, I think it was February or March of 2021. And we pushed it out to later in the year, uh, to around 20, it was about November. And we launched in November. So we were supposed to launch in February and we pushed it out. And it gave us more time because we were doing so many other things. So even though we had found the powder, we had the branding and all the, you know, Jason and I pretty much did the entire branding ourselves in-house with our agency. Um, we weren't ready because we were still trying to figure out what was going in the world. Like it was still a scary time, right? Even though it's not post 2020, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen. All these new things were coming out. There was another strain. So it was like, we're outside, but now we have to go back home. So we just, it was just everything just didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. So by pushing out the launch, what happened was we were able to basically build out the team. And Jesse, Jason's partner, joined us as a co-founder. So basically the story was, you know, it was two couples. Sana and myself kind of started this, had this idea at the very beginning. And then my mother joined on. Jason got stuck with us March 2020. He came out for a surprise birthday party for Sana and got stuck here. March 11th, like the world really started to shut down. Flights started to get canceled. And then... You know, Jason's like, yeah, I'm not going to get on a plane right now. I don't know. You know, we don't know what's going to happen with the coronavirus. So for about six months, it was Jason, Sana, and myself in this apartment. And this is before our renovation. So there was no doors. It was just wide open. It was just a loft. So there was really no way for us to, like, work around each other. There was no, like, you know, this was literally the only room in the house. So then Jason would come in here pretty much every single night during the pandemic. And he would call Jesse and they would have conversations. He would literally just sit in the bathtub on the phone with Jesse for hours every night. And Sana and I would be out there. 
And we just started basically getting to work and we started working on, you know, what it is that we wanted to build, the intention behind it. And really at the, you know, at the end, like, what do we want to share with the world? And the main thing is we wanted to make sure that whatever we we're going to be putting out there was the best that we could put out there. So working with the Japanese suppliers that we worked with was perfect. And, you know, it was really interesting because this is this funny story that we talk about all the time is because we pushed out our launch from, uh, I guess, February, March, all the way to November, the much that we had had in stock and we were, you know, pretty much ready to sell, it expired. So we called up our supplier, <laughs> we called the farm and we're like, hey, so we changed our plans and we had to move out our launch. Um, we have matcha, it's past the six month mark. Um, let us know what we can do with it. And without any contact, you get an email back that says, please send it back. And we're like, oh, okay. And we didn't think that that was strange at all. We, we didn't really think about it. We're like, please send it back. Like, we're like, whatever we can do to make them happy, we will do because this is, you know, nobody else has this product. So we send it back. And two weeks goes by, three weeks goes by, four weeks goes by. And we're like, are they going to send us a replacement? Are they going to let us know what happened? They, uh, we like hit the email them and go, hey, so um, can you let us know what happened? So we jump on a Zoom and uh, the person's like, oh, thank you very much for sending it back. Um, we appreciate it very much. And I'm like, okay. And like, uh, what happened to it? And they're like, oh, we we burned it. And I, I, we were like, what? You, you, you did what? And they're like, we burned it. And um, kind of was like, we like, they had a feeling in our stomach. Like we could have done so much with that. We could have consumed it personally. We could have, could have created content with it. We could have put it into pastries. We could have just experimented with it. But because we kind of upheld the rules that they had or the, you know, the, uh, the guidelines of basically not selling much after six months, it basically strengthened our relationship with them to the point that now we have a lot of trust. And because of that, um, I think it's basically kind of given us the opportunity now to try other things with matcha, you know, like putting matcha into some you know, into chocolate. Uh, putting matcha into so we have some other fun things coming out but we're doing some different pastries and it's allowed them to trust us that everything that we're going to do we're always going to do with our best foot forward and that we're always going to do with the idea of quality first um, I think that that I mean that's I think really what solidified the relationship with them and that's why I think hopefully we'll continue to be the only supplier of this cultivar or this leaf and um, yeah so that's uh, that's pretty much the story of how we got the matcha and how we kind of locked it in yeah, that's an extremely unique story. I mean, it's definitely a journey. You guys did your homework, so I, I, it makes sense why the product is as good as it is. Um, kind of going back, I, we, we touched a bit on what is the, like, the quality and um, the type of powder that you get with matcha. A lot of people don't know what the difference between like ceremonial grade and culinary grade is. Like, we're going to go right back to the basics here. So say I'm somebody that's just wanting to get into matcha. A lot of people, you know, they'll go to Starbucks and they'll get, oh, I'm getting matcha. I'm being, mm -hmm. I'm being healthy. Well, as we know, Starbucks adds a lot of things and that's not really matcha. So, um, so yeah, if someone is going to go try matcha, First things first, I need to find a product. I mean, I would recommend Nekohama, but maybe that's not accessible to them. What's the difference between culinary grade and ceremonial? Ceremonial doesn't really mean anything. Um, I guess if you have a high quality one, it could be called ceremonial grade. And we obviously have that on our packaging. Um, it's something that a lot of brands will use. It's culinary grade is 
definitely not the first harvest. It's definitely not from the top of the plant. And most likely, um, if you're getting a culinary grade matcha, it's probably not matcha. It's more like green tea powder. So you have to think about the leaf, right? The Camellia sinensis leaf. And if you look at it, it's got a stem, it has veins. So green tea powder is just someone picking it off and then just grinding that. Uh, it goes through the whole plant, dries. It obviously goes through the entire process of drying it and then basically getting it into aracha form. But then I think they just pretty much just grind the entire leaf. Matcha is a little bit more like time intensive because you have to take the leaf, you have to take the stem off, you have to pull the fibers off and you take all the veins out and all you're really left is like the leafy part. Just, just the fiber, right? Not the veins, not the stem. So most people, when they're going online or they're going to Amazon and you see a brand like Matcha DNA, have you ever seen Matcha DNA? I don't think we have that one on, in Canada. Amazon yeah. Canada is much different than the States. So oh, that's yeah. probably why. That's true. Yeah. So Matcha, so this this company, mm -hmm. I think some, I think they have like Japanese, they have something that makes it look like it's a Japanese product. And okay. it says Matcha. It's green tea powder, from what I understand. And not only that, if you look on the back, it's a product of another country in Asia. It's not a product of Japan. And there's a bunch of products out there where it says matcha, ceremonial grade matcha. And it comes from another place in Asia, another place that grows too. There's a bunch of different places where you can get um, green tea from. It's not just native to Japan, it actually started probably, I think it came from China. They used to grow it there. And then someone brought it over to Japan and there's, a little bit of a fight between where it actually started in Japan. Did it start in Uji in the north, or did it actually originally come to uh, Kyushu? And our farm believes that it actually started in the south. Everyone else likes to say that it started in Uji. But the, the thing is, you have to be careful because if you're sourcing matcha from a place, even if it says USDA organic, right? The soil doesn't necessarily mean, uh, the soil might be organic, but the environment might have lots of toxins. So all of a sudden you're sourcing your leaf from a place where there might be a smokestack and a factory five miles down the road, well, that's not being taken into account. So the leaf itself is like the hemp leaf, right? It filters a lot of the toxins in the air, heavy metals, things like that that are actually in the environment. So all of a sudden you might have a leaf that has a high level of lead. Lead isn't a lot of different things. It's just a heavy metal that just naturally occurring in the world anyway. But the issue with it is if all of a sudden you're near a factory and that factory is just puffing out just you know, lots of pollution, that leaf is going to filter that out. So you have to be really careful about where you're sourcing your matcha from and where you're actually you know, buying it. So if you're buying it online, you have to just kind of check where is it from, who makes it, and then you know, check the expiration date. A lot of the matchas that we get, we'll look at the back and it's like 2024. Because we try to try everything. Any new matcha brand that comes on the, in the market, we're like, oh, just support them. We love seeing more people coming into the space because we really right. need to educate everyone. It's such a new thing still. So we'll look and say, oh, expiration day 24 months from now and so you know like would you want a salad two weeks after it was picked probably not so it's the same thing with matcha even though it's been dried and it's gone through that process you want to make sure that you're sourcing something that's extremely fresh and you want to know where it comes from so back to the culinary grade for ceremonial grade ceremonial grade is most likely coming from the top part of the leaf it's usually the first flush the first harvest and you know you obviously you'll say that on the packaging you really don't know because we could literally say that Nekohama is the ultimate match. We could put anything on the packaging, right? As long as we're not making certain claims. So you have to really do some research, you know, get, make sure you trust the brand, see what the brand's about. And sometimes it's just like a drop shipping company. It's a beautiful website, but there's no, like you don't, can't find out who the founders are. You can't really find out much about them. 
So just kind of do a little bit of research before you order it. And then whenever you do order it, just check the color. If it's, you know, extremely green and bright and vibrant, it's probably fresh. If it's a little bit more on the yellow side, brown side, like looks like it's, uh, I would say more green, brown, yellow, you should probably be a little bit careful with that because it's probably not fresh. Right. That's, that's so interesting. And in terms of the harvesting, I've seen some brands come out with like a spring harvest versus a summer harvest. Do you mm -hmm. know what, like, what's the difference between that? What's the difference in the flavors? How, when is Nikohama harvest in terms of this? In spring. In the spring. Okay. I'd say that most of the companies that we know that, you know, the, I guess the different brands that are in the high end space in matcha, they have spring harvest. And also it's the first flush leaf, right? So as you go later into the year, I think the taste will change as well. But then also, you know, you have to keep in mind that you have to shade grow it for a certain period of time. Otherwise, it's just green tea powder. So the, the special thing about matcha is you shade grow it for about three weeks, sometimes a little bit less, sometimes a little bit longer. Our farm tends to do it on the longer side, which basically increases the levels of L-theanine inside of the matcha, right? And L-theanine is really the important part of matcha. It's really what you want. It helps basically balance out the effects of the caffeine in your system. So when people say that they get a zen energy from matcha, it's because of the L-theanine inside. And L-theanine isn't found in a lot of different things in nature. It's found in some mushrooms and I don't think they're edible or safe to eat. And it's found in green tea. And that's where they synthesize it. They take it from green tea leaves and they put it into the pills or into a powder form. And a lot of people are starting to put it into their coffee so that they can basically take, drink more coffee and have a better relationship with the caffeine that's inside. So for us, you know, our main focus again was at what point is it the freshest? At what point does it have the highest levels of nutri uh, nutrients? At what level does it have? At what point does it have the highest levels of theanine? And that's within the first six months. And that's also why here in Oklahoma, we do something a little bit different than everyone else. We don't store anything in a warehouse. We store everything in freezers under 40 degrees to try to prevent the, the oxidization process. So technically, you know, with our process, we could probably have matcha at 13, 14, 15 months, and it would probably still taste the same because it's being kept in cold storage. But for us, you know, we want to respect what the farm has asked us to do. So we're just basically saying, okay. We're going to just, you know, carry small amounts. We want to be sustainable. We don't ever want to have to throw out matcha ever again after that first experience. Um, and luckily it was only like 300 units because we weren't very confident that we were going to do well. But, and, you know, we still want to make sure that we're not ever having turnover of product and that we're able to just get exactly what we need and just deliver to the customers that really want it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in terms of preparing matcha, now you see a lot of people using a electric whisk. Now I want to know, I use a, a traditional matcha mm -hmm. whisk, but does the electric whisk ruin the matcha? Like, ruins is the matcha reason? experience, that's for sure. Yes. That 100% ruins the matcha experience because you can do that. So the thing about matcha that people don't realize is that it doesn't actually dissolve. It's not salt, it's not sugar. It doesn't dissolve into water, right? That's why if you have a matcha that's got you know, more of like a, I would say, it's probably ceramically ground, it's probably going to be, there's going to be sediment at the bottom. So you're going to see like little clumps at the bottom. So it doesn't dissolve into the water. It suspends. So you have to create a certain amount of friction. So that's why going back and forth with the whisk. So when people go in a circle, right, it doesn't really suspend it, right? You'll see some on the bottom. So we always recommend doing it the right way, which is going back and forth in a zigzag motion. So I would say that yes, 100%, it ruins the matcha experience, but it doesn't destroy or ruin the matcha. Although they do say that drinking matcha from like a, I guess a metallic cup or like a steel cup or wait, okay, stainless steel cup, yeah. it will have an effect on the matcha. 
I don't know how much of that is true. We always drink it out of either glass or maybe just a ceramic cup. Um, but I would just recommend that, you know, if you really want to experience matcha the way that it's meant to be experienced and you want to give yourself that moment in the morning where you have that ritual where it's just you matcha and taking a deep breath while you're whisking, I would highly recommend just investing in a bamboo whisk. And also when it comes to the bamboo whisk, just make sure you know where it's coming from. So, you know, even though we, we it's very expensive to source Japanese bamboo whisks, um, just the amount of work and the amount of time that goes into making that kind of whisk versus making another whisk that comes from another part of Asia. Um, we recommend just making sure you look at where it's coming from because some of the woods or some of the bamboo pieces are actually treated with chemicals and those chemicals get soaked up into the wood. And then when you're using your matcha whisk, it leads out into what you're drinking. And those are things you have to be really conscious of. Yeah, so how would you know where the bamboo whisk is coming from? Because I know most people like order them off of Amazon. Would that just be yeah. looking at where like the location is? Like what would you recommend someone look for? I would order off of Amazon. When it comes to all the matcha things that we, uh, that we used to order before it, we either order from companies that would source them. Like there's a few companies in New York that we, you know, we'd source like a matcha kit from before we were actually consuming our Nekohama and before this actually came to life. Um, we trusted them. I would say just make sure you trust them because the brands that are going to be here for a long time are probably doing it right. They're probably making sure that they're making decisions or choosing to source from a better, I guess, a better farm. Right? Or even when it comes to the accessories, if they're sourcing from a place like in China, they're, they're working with factories that are just more conscious of the products and what they're doing. Right. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, I feel, especially with like in comparison to coffee, I feel that matcha is so, um, because it's becoming a new way of consuming energy throughout your day, um, there's a lot, it's not as, like with coffee, it's easier to source out a good cup of coffee. I mean, it's, there's still, you got to watch where the coffee's being um, grown and everything like that. But because matcha, there's a bit more information behind it and it's a little bit more complex. I feel that a lot of people are struggling to figure out where and like where to source out the right quality ingredients and how to get them and then how to actually properly prepare them so that they're maximizing the benefits from it so it's it, the whole thing just really interesting to me because the you know this idea of matcha has only really been I mean it's a very traditional practice but in the recent I want to say two years maybe it's really it's the whole industry has really blossomed it's wonderful to see, you know, especially, you know, I'm, I'm not full of Japanese, I'm half, but I feel like strong connection back to my roots. You know, I spent time there, I went to school there for a little bit as a kid, and um, I used to go all the time during the summers with my mother. <clears throat> so, you know, it's, it's amazing to see a lot of brands popping up. What would be great is if, you know, the brands were more focused on quality instead of sourcing a cheaper, you know, cultivar, a cheaper leaf, because, you know, most companies, they're aware that, you know, again, people are going to be making a lot of lattes. So what with our customer and with our community, you know, we have jumped on hundreds, actually probably thousands of matcha Zooms at this point between the four of us, uh, Jesse, Jason, Sana, myself. So we'll jump on Zooms probably like three or four times a week, at least now, before it was more when we were just to be educating everyone. And we always recommend try drinking this without anything added. And most of our community at the very beginning, they were like scared, like, oh, no, 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 I've done that before. It, it's bitter. And we're like, no, just trust us. And then just, you know, for me, my favorite way to drink it now that we're living in Los Angeles, because it's always warm, is iced. So we recommended that. And everyone's reaction, because we usually record the Zooms, they give us permission, is always like, 
they're like ready for some like you know some bitterness and they have this idea of what it's going to be and then they taste it and they're like is this what matcha is supposed to taste like and i was like this is what i grew up drinking whenever i visit japan actually i'll take it a step further the matcha i had when i was a kid growing up was okay it was 10x better than what's on the market here in america in the united states and probably everywhere else but nekohama even my mother when she tried nekohama for the first time was like ah oh, this is very good and then we have a japanese advisor who owns a bunch of supermarkets in New York City, uh, Japanese food markets. And, you know, he basically said, yeah, no, I'm not, I, I don't like matcha. He tried Nekohama and he was like, I would love to help you and get involved with your business. And his name's Yaz, he's a wonderful human being. And he was like, wow, this is incredible. So when, when we started having Japanese people, like, you know, people from Japan trying this, and all of a sudden we have a bunch of you, we're seeing that we have a lot of subscribers from Tokyo and we have a couple of subscribers from other areas of Japan. That order every other month. It was really interesting. I was like, "You're the, the matcha is coming from Japan to Los Angeles, sitting in our freezers, and then being shipped all the way back over to Japan." So, I think it's extremely funny that that's happening. And really, uh, we got really lucky that we found it. And you know, without Sana's hard work, because really, you know, she spent months emailing back and forth with my mother, helping translate. Without that hard work at the beginning of the pandemic, when you know, honestly, we thought the world was going to end. You know, we wouldn't be where we are. So, you know, we owe so much to Sana for taking that first step and just, you know, taking that challenge and be saying, no, you can't do it and saying, oh, no, watch me. She's just that yeah. type of person. Exactly. I love that. When you're preparing matcha, so say, say just in general, some people may still be avoidant to drinking matcha on its own, especially if they don't have a good quality one. So say, you know, you have to have more of a lower grade um, type of matcha. What is the best method of sweetening it because a lot of people tend to use maple syrup and I'm curious to know whether or not there's a reason for maple syrup versus like honey or something like that and what is the best type of like plant-based beverage to or even just a, a regular milk but no one really drinks regular milk anymore um to actually mix with the matcha if from your experience, at least, like what would you say is the best way to prepare it to maximize the taste of it, to make it ta- make the make it taste the best? So, probably hard to answer that question considering you probably don't drink it with oh, anything now. I know I don't add anything. I had it's just, I haven't added anything to it in years. Yeah, two years. Um, even before when it was like we were just drinking matcha for ourselves and we were ordering it online. I would just drink it by itself and almost an espresso form. So I have like a small glass cup and it would just be two ounces of water, like hundred milliliters of water, two grams of matcha and I would just pour it in. But I think to answer your question about the maple syrup, I think a lot of people have started moving away from things that aren't vegan. So honey comes from bees and maybe maple syrup is more of a vegan option. I think the best sweetener in terms of taste profile um, is maple syrup. I'm a big maple syrup lover. I used to uh, go up to Quebec with my family every winter and we used to have these, like, maple syrup combs where they would just make this like thick molasses type thing. It was made from maple syrup and we would just eat it and love it. It's always a flavor that I've enjoyed. Um, I think that in terms of sweeteners, um, I just recommend finding one that you like. I, I, I do not like stevia. I do not like um, agave. Uh, a lot of people don't realize this, but agave is high in fructose. And people think that agave is supposed to be healthy. So if you ever go to a coffee shop that has agave and they're claiming to be health conscious and health forward, it's not that they're not doing a good job. It's that they might not really be aware of the fact that 
you know, agave is not great for you. Although agave does taste amazing and you don't need to melt it down. You can put it into an ice drink and just whisk it around. It's very, it's very easy to use, but I would say maple syrup is my favorite. Um, and in terms of finding a matcha cultivar that is less expensive, um, that's the thing, like, you know, with a health product or a product that you're taking for your own health, it's always better to make the investment. It, but if you can't, what I would recommend is trying out different ones that you might be able to actually enjoy. Um, Amazon's a great place where you can go online. There's all these different sites. But I would say a lot of the editorial outlets that put out, these are the 10 best matchas. Um, and then you read like the descriptions and what they're writing. I don't really know if they're aware of like what good matcha really is because some of the ones that they choose, you know, wouldn't be anything that even people, that people would really enjoy. Um, the, on the milk side or the, the additive side in terms of like adding a vegan milk or like a, a vegan option, I would recommend making it at home. Um, the problem is like, if you look at Oatly and if you looked at the ingredients inside of it, I personally think Oatly tastes awesome. It's like, you know, it's not something I consume regularly at all, but it tastes so good. Something that tastes that good, that tastes that artificial, it, it can't be natural, right? It's, it's like going to right. McDonald's and having a Big Mac. And it's like, wow, this like tastes amazing. It's like, well, the reason it tastes amazing is it was literally created just to pretty much, you know, make your brain go, wow. Um, with yeah. the Oatly, I would say that um, I would never add Oatly to a matcha. Um, maybe if I'm out and about and I don't want to have a coffee, I don't really drink coffee anymore. I'll have like a latte when I'm in uh, Europe with Sana. It's kind of fun to sit at a coffee shop. And the matcha in Europe is, I would say, 10 times worse than the matcha over here. So I don't think in Europe we ever drink it. Our goal is to kind of get Nekohama into the European markets and we're starting to focus on that and it's the goal for the fall. But I would say that um, definitely try to make it at home. If you have a blender and you have oats, right? You can literally just make oat milk at home and you can look online for all these amazing recipes. There is an amazing company called New Milk. They're just starting. I think that they're in Whole Foods now and they're definitely growing, but um, comes in a little pack. It's like a... It's not, and you basically open it up and put it into water and you stir it up and it basically creates this really, really tasty drink. The thing about it is it's not accessible for everyone to get right now, but as companies like that start to enter into the space, I think if you do a little bit of research, you'll be able to find one locally. I think in Canada, there's got to be startups and companies in the space that do that. I think Smart Suites was started up in Canada. So I think there's a lot of companies that are really innovating and doing some really interesting things in the space there. So I would say make it at home. There's something called the almond cow. It's an amazing device. You just put everything in there, you push a button and it just makes it. And then you can just look online. And I think Sana has a couple of videos where she's made a couple of nut milks herself that are on her YouTube. But mm -hmm. really just spend a little bit of time. Like what you can learn in 10 minutes. And you know, if you practice making something two or three times, you pretty much like learn how to do it. It's I think a lot of people want things to be easy. You know, and that's the thing about yeah. health and that's the thing about wellness is there's nothing easy about it because we live in a world where there's candy everywhere. You can grab the Snickers bar when you're walking out of the aisle and you go to any health food establishment or health food grocery. When you're walking out, what do you see at the aisle when you're checking out? Whole foods, snacks, 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 chocolate, this. And it's like, yes, this doesn't have this kind of, uh, this has coconut sugar instead of cane sugar, but it's still sugar it's still sugar and it's still snacking and it's still it's not unhealthy but it's also not healthy you know um and i believe that you're supposed to, you should have balance in your life but i see a lot of people you know they wake up in the morning and you see them at starbucks and they got this huge venti something 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 double pump of this syrup and that syrup and then you know 
I have friends who do this and then I'll see them at lunch and then they'll look at the person and go, is it, is, oh yeah, um, what kind of sugar is in this? And I look at them and I'm just like thinking in my head, like, you don't really know what's in the syrup that's they're pumping at Starbucks, but you're worried about what they're putting in lunch. And it's about finding that balance and just saying, okay, you know, I can have that, you know, sugary drink in the morning just to get myself out of bed if you, if you want that, but then find a way to kind of balance it out to the rest of your day. I think like, you know, we were so ramped up on sugar, something that we didn't have before, you know, when we were kind of, I would say before hundreds of years ago, sugar wasn't easily accessible. You couldn't go to the grocery store, grab a Pepsi or Coca-Cola and drink it. And it's something that just everyone now, I think we're just ramped up on sugar. Yeah. And it's, it's also, I mean, the science been showing that it's a, it's addictive. It's, it's literally in a sense of drug and the carbohydrates in general, your body feeds off of it. Once you keep feeding it, the amount that you keep doing it, it just builds and builds and builds and builds. Mm -hmm. And especially if you're waking up first thing in the morning and putting that right into your body, right after you've had rest and your reset for the next day, um, waking up and getting those Starbucks drinks that, I mean, some people think, especially with like sugar-free syrups, it's still tricking your body to thinking it's sugar. So it's, uh, that's why I really, um, switch over to matcha as well, because it, it, the whole experience of it. And like, you know, every morning I wake up and I look forward to that time of my day where I go and I, I make my matcha and it's like that mindfulness moment. And I mean, I, you can probably speak about this um, for yourself, about the mindfulness. And I've heard you and Sana talk about it in your posts of preparing matcha and how it can just make you feel very present in the moment. Yeah, so, you know, every morning um, we wake up early. Uh, I used to actually it's gonna take you back in history. I used to have a problem with sleep um, and I didn't think it was a problem. I just thought it was special that I could sleep four or five hours a night and I'd be able to just go, go, go. And living in New York City, you can do that. And uh, I was drinking a ton of coffee. 2017, 2018, I was just drinking a ton of coffee. Even though we had matcha in our lives, it wasn't really something I was like thinking about. I wasn't thinking about my health. And, you know, something that I hadn't thought of, a big catalyst of not just my health journey, but Sana basically looking into health more and kind of understanding wellness was 2018, about six months into the year. Well, I think it was like June. I wake up one day, just go through my whole routine, put my clothes on and I come back to the room and, you know, Sana was still in bed. I walk out and Sana goes, what's that in your head? And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, what's that in your head? And I was like, what's going on here? And I started touching back to her. She goes, come here. And she starts touching the spot on my head. And there was this bald patch, literally overnight, I kid you, overnight like this. And it was alopecia. Or I, I guess I was then diagnosed later on with alopecia. The stress is caused by stress, the lack of sleep. I was ramping up my body with so much cortisol from just like being in New York and you're just running around drinking coffee, staying up late, working, working, working. And that was really, you know, that's when I started like really thinking about what it is that I was putting into my body. Luckily at the time, um, Jason and I were working with a company, um, a friend founded a company called Nutrafol. It's a really successful company. They created an amazing product. It's a nutraceutical with all these amazing ingredients that basically helps combat stress, but at the same time, it helps you, or at least it's supposed to help you grow back your hair. Um, they can't make those claims, but I can tell you that within four months of starting taking this product, and we were working with them at the time, my hair grew back like that. I luckily had Sana, who literally every morning would make me this smoothie with avocado and these different fats so that I could absorb the nutrients into my body. 
and my hair grew back. And it was a scary period of time because I wasn't worried about losing my hair. I was more I was worried about what it meant or what was going on on the inside. So that's when I started to make the transition to, you know, I needed something. Like I was in New York working late hours, just staying up all the time. So I needed something. So that's when matcha just started coming into our lives. At the time, I can tell you this, I was making matcha in a 32 ounce mason jar. And I, I, I hate to admit this, but I was putting Oatly in there. It was like a little bit of matcha and just Oatly. And I was probably going through a carton of Oatly every 48 hours. It, it, it was bad. It got to the point where, you know, I started breaking out all over my face. So I was like, I'm trying to fix one problem. And then I created another problem. I'm just ramping myself up, drinking all this Oatly with all these different things inside of it that not, I would say maybe in small quantities are fine. But in the quantities of like really just drinking a carton every other day, it wasn't good. So I started breaking out. I had all these like weird things. Like literally, it looked like zits, but it wasn't. It was just all over my forehead. I went to a doctor and they're like, yeah, so what, what are you, uh, what are you, are you putting into your body right now? And it's more of a holistic doctor. Of all the other doctors tried to put me on medication, give me creams and all these things. And uh, none of those things worked because they didn't say stop drinking only. So I go to this doctor in New York and she's a holistic doctor. And she's like, yeah, you might want to stop uh, wherever you're drinking. If you're drinking anything that's not, uh, I guess, just that has things added into it, that's preservatives, you might want to cut that out. I kid you not, cut it out. Three weeks later, my skin went back to looking the way it did when I was a kid. So I was like, oh, okay. So really what you put into your body truly does matter. You know, replacing one thing for another, you need to make sure that what you're replacing with isn't going to go cause another problem. So, you know, long like looking at what we're doing now with Ekohama, you know, it's really focused on, you know, making sure that we're giving people the opportunities to, yes, yeah, still get their energy and, you know, have this ritual, but find a healthier alternative to, you know, some of the caffeinated beverages that bring to their body to get the day going. And we, you know, there's a bunch of companies out there that just say the coffee is bad for you. I don't think coffee is bad for you. I think that we've been, you know, consuming it for such a long time. And if you really look at coffee arabica, the bean before you roast it, it's full of, you know, it's packed full of antioxidants, amazing things. The second you roast it and burn it, I don't know how much of those nutrients you actually get out of it. But I would say that, um, again, living with balance is very important. So for people who don't want to get rid of coffee in their lives, we've always recommended, hey, when you first wake up in the morning, make yourself a matcha, wait 15 minutes, and then go and drink your coffee. The reason for that is then you'll have a little bit of theanine in your system. So supposedly it should help balance out the caffeine experience throughout your day. So you might still have a little bit of a spike, but at least you have theanine in your body, kind of stop it and prevent it from just really ramping you up and then really jacking up your cortisol levels. And if you know what cortisol is, it's the stress hormone that gets you moving. So people drink coffee and like, yeah, coffee gives me energy. It's like, no, coffee doesn't give you energy. Coffee tricks your brain into thinking you're not tired, but you're still tired and you still need sleep. One of the biggest problems that we have in the U.S. right now is not that this is the health issue, but then this is a bigger wellness problem is the lack of sleep. You know, humans right. need six to eight hours of sleep at least. And most people are getting four to five hours and not even good sleep because we're just drinking coffee all day. So how can you really you know, get that rest of, you know, caffeine is still in your system. Mm -hmm. And can you have matcha? Like, I, I mean, for me personally, I can't, if I were to have coffee, I couldn't drink it past three o'clock or else I'd be up at night. But in terms of matcha, is that the same kind of rule or is it different because it's the, the way that the caffeine works in the system? It's not the same. It's, it's person to person. So this is okay. the thing that I thought was insane. So I started dating Sana in 2017. And on our third date, it was like 9.30 at night, Eastern time. We finish. And we, I still remember Jack's wife, Frida, in New York City and West Village. 
And I'm like, oh, are you ready to go? And she goes, oh, no, no, let me get an espresso. And I'm like, what? She goes, yeah, let me just get an espresso. And I was like, this is a European thing. It's a European thing to drink an espresso. And I, she drinks an espresso. And then, you know, we said goodbye and she went home and um, she went and probably slept like a baby. And then, you know, when we went to Holland, that first vacation, I remember her parents, nine o'clock at night after dinner, made themselves all espressos and they all went and slept like babies. And at the time I was sleeping like four hours a night, couldn't, you know, I couldn't stay asleep. And she slept and literally looked like the, like a baby. She was, she was in the happiest place of her life, just like sleeping there. And I would wake up and I'm like, I'm bored of sleep. My body would just like wake me up. And I'd be like, how are you sleeping nine hours after just downing an espresso shot? I had no idea, but I think it's more of a European thing. So it's person to person and also how your right. body actually, like, I guess, handles it. Um, I drink about four a day and I can drink one at six o'clock at night or nine. And it's fine. Could I drink a coffee at nine o'clock at night? No, I would feel horrible. But that's because I think it's not packed full of all these other amazing things. Um, but yeah, sauna, espresso at night, and she's fine. I don't think she does that anymore. We, you know, I think much is <laughs> kind of like the main thing that we consume now. But the other thing about coffee that a lot of that I found out recently is it's one of the moldiest things out there. Um, you know, even even if you think it's not, even if it's sold at you know a high end grocer, um, chances are that there's mold in there. So you know, I don't think that you know there's been a move towards more like these like third string, like the third one, really high end roasters where you can go in, it's like fresh. You walk up to the you know the cafe or the coffee shop. Um, actually, let's call it a cafe. It's coffee shops in Holland are a completely different thing. So you walk up to the cafe, you can smell them because they're roasting them fresh. I think that that's a great way to, you know, maybe get the bean and make sure that it's not moldy. But um, if you're getting it at the store and it's been sitting on a shelf, chances are it could have a little bit of mold. I, you know, or fungus. That's the other thing. Um, I'm not a specialist on this. I haven't done too much research on the coffee side of things. But people right. who are much smarter than I am and who've started coffee businesses have explained that to Sana and myself on calls, and we were like, "Wow, we had no idea." Right. So I think bottom line is you you got to do your research. Yeah, I, that's the thing is you know you got to do your research and also think about you know where you're getting your research from and if it's a doctor like look into this doctor like let's look at their credentials you know when someone sees the doctor in front of their name they're like oh this person's obviously someone i should trust it's like yeah you should but you know you always like always have a little bit of doubt when people are giving you information because like some of the things i might have said i might have learned from things or articles that were completely wrong so anybody listening to this now should please go do some research on your own and just look into it but um you know we've done as much as we can do on our side um in terms of making sure that our matcha is safe to drink it's you can taste the experience like it's just it just doesn't need anything out of it. do you drink matcha do you drink nekohama with milk or do you just drink it by itself uh just by itself it doesn't need it yeah kind of last things you want to say or where can people find you where can they get nekohama all right so, so we're live you know we launched in november and uh, you know it's been amazing we've had so many people just supporting us we've had so much support from just all over the world uh, since we ship internationally now um and you can find us at nekohama.co. We don't have the .com yet. We're hoping to get that at some point. Um, and funny enough, I thought it was kind of funny to take the handle Matcha Bay. I haven't done anything with it. I don't post very much on uh, on my personal platform, but I can be reached at Nekohama. Just shoot us a DM there. I'm always available. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for inviting me on. It's just a lot of fun. It's my first time being on a podcast like this. So look forward to uh, doing this again with you in person. Okay, guys, so that is it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening and tuning in. I appreciate your love and support, and I really hope you learned something new about matcha today. 
And yeah, make sure to check out my Instagram at Balance Factor for some more content and to stay up to date with new episodes and to also check out Nikohama on their website as well as their Instagram, which will be listed in the show notes below. And yeah, without further ado, I think that's it. So I will see you next week. Bye, guys. Redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.